Welcome to Seducated, the podcast using business, lifestyle, and marketing, giving you real perspective and inspiration to help feed your entrepreneurial soul. Our podcast is dedicated to helping you succeed in your business through empowerment and growth. And I'm your Seducated host, Sheila Ellis Glasper, and the owner of SEG Media Collective. Let's get started. So welcome to another episode of Seducated. We are so glad that you guys decided to tune in with us. We actually have a special guest today. Um, Her name is Dr. Jessica Elmore. Uh, Jessica is also a good friend of mine, but she is a a graduate, a HBCU grad. Yes. She has her MBA from Kansas State University. Um, She also has her doctorate in education um, from Kansas State University. And currently she serves as the Associate Director of Diversity for the K-State Alumni Association. That's correct. And so... We are really excited to have Jessica on the show today and chat with us. Uh, We're going to have a conversation about diversity, inclusion, and tokenism and what that means in the business world. I wanted you to get a chance to kind of talk more about your qualifications on what makes you uniquely qualified to speak on the topic of diversity and also just from knowing you personally I know that you do the work yeah I would say that it kind of started back um, from my upbringing so I am from California and I'm not saying that people from California are just you know innately diverse but in my upbringing um, my mother had introduced us to cultural food at a very early age like we were learning how to use chopsticks like at four and we were trying all these different things and so my exposure began there. And of course, yes, going to school with, you know, people from, you know, just different parts of the world and just, you know, understanding that there's just more people. So that was probably the start point. And I still had a very African-American like upbringing and things like that. And I actually went to a historical black college for my um, undergraduate experience. And that's where I learned about diversity of black people. Um, And I'm at a critical mass of black individuals. And so at that point, you can really see there's a difference. And so that's where I realized I didn't like all black people, which was great, right? Because um, sometimes when you get into places where it's such a small group, people expect you to know and like every person, regardless of personality. So we had the freedom not to. And what's interesting about my experience at Grambling was that was probably the only place where I can kind of forget about being black and just be me because it kind of removed the always thinking, is it because I'm black? Is it because whatever? And it was just like, can you compete? And what does that mean? And what does that look like? And, you know, and so I was able to break down some barriers there. So then when I came to K-State, I'm in a whole different place and I'm now having to like reshock my body into a different place. And so what came out of that was my love for experiencing culture in its most authentic way. And that takes being present, being consistent, and just listening. Really, that's what I've done in my current role is, yeah, I work, you know, seven to five or whatever it is, but a lot of my stuff is after five. And a lot of that stuff is not in the job description. 
But I'm like, how am I supposed to recreate memorable experiences if I never experienced what these students who would eventually become alumni are experiencing? You know, we deal with students. They don't do stuff till after 6 p.m. So guess what? That's where I'm going to be at. And when you go to enough of these um, events, you see the themes. And of course, yes, I do research. So you are trained to look at data and you want to see what rises to the top. So there are themes that happen. Mm -hmm. And um, I like to share with people because a lot of it is, you know, people will say they're afraid to be the odd person out. I'm like, I get that. I mean, I'm only black. So any other community I go into is, is different. But I liken it to going to somebody's house for the first time. You know, you go to somebody's house and you say, oh, should I take my shoes off? You know, you say, where's the bathroom? You know, can I get some water? But after like the third or fourth time, if you go to the house and they be like, you know, can I get some water? But girl, if you don't go in that refrigerator, <laughs> right. if you don't, you know, like you are not a guest anymore, you know? <laughs> and so I look at that as in how I get, how I approach communities. On the first try, People are looking at you like, what you doing here? Like, you're operating on your best behavior. <laughs> right. But when they see that you're there authentically for them and you're not trying to take over, you're not trying to whatever, then you kind of just meld in. And you, like, you're there and you get to really see how communities function. People are welcoming, you know. And so through that, um, trust is built. So things that I don't know, I now feel comfortable asking. So I'm not this case of educate me, educate me, educate me. You know, I'm like, now it's just like, okay, we do this. So I've done Saudi things, you know, like I've done, you know, we went to the Philippines. That was a whole different experience. I've been to Taiwan and South Korea. You know, I've been all these places as a black woman being stared at like I'm Beyonce, which I wish I was, but I'm not, <laughs> you know, but it's like because right. I'm realizing oh, that yeah. people have not had this interaction. When I look at that, I have to take myself out and say, why am I here? What am I doing that would be disruptive? You got to care about that more than your own comfortability. And so through that, now the face is recognizable. Now, you know, I can think about what am I, what do I want to contribute through the work that I do? And I can offer what resources the K-State Alumni Association can, ha can provide. And now we get people who are not afraid to come into our building or want to talk to me. And, you know, now we can break down the barriers of, a person has to mentor you who looks like you. We don't have to do that because you know that I'm authentically like really trying to embrace you. And so I think that from my foundation of how I was brought up to really having time to understand and be okay with who I am and love my black culture, that allows me to then break open and embrace other communities. And not just ethnic, you know, LGBTQ, disabled, veterans, all of that, you know. Research doesn't have a definition for diversity. Nobody agrees on it. So it can be a full range of different things. But now it doesn't, it's not different on how you enter respectfully those spaces. And I think that's what really needs to happen. You don't get trust on the front end. You got to work for that. And it can always get taken. So mm -hmm. I think that's what I would say about how I go about doing the work. Diversity is like a buzzword that we hear thrown around a lot. And um, when it comes to the business scene, I think it's become so common and popular for people to use the word because they understand that it can affect their business bottom line. Mm -hmm. um, but we may not be exactly sure of how to actually do diversity. 
mm-hmm. in a way that is going to um, be meaningful and and positive. And so I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit, Jessica, about what does diversity or the lack of diversity, how does that affect businesses? Well, what I'd first say is that diversity has become buzzword, but it has always been a thing. It has always been a thing in business. It has always been a thing in communities. And when we think about um, monoculture, um, there's always been a level of diversity because we know everybody's not the same. So when diversity became a bottom line issue for companies who did not believe in allowing those diverse voices and thoughts be at the table, then that's when it became a buzzword and it became this thing like it's new. But it's like it's not new to the people who've already been trying to talk about the importance of this diversity that we naturally have. I mean, if you look at the United States, that's what we are. We are diverse. That's how we started. So now that business is trying to get on board, there is this learning curve for particular organizations, and it's a fight because it's a and or, which is a very European-centric type of thought process. If you think about African culture, it's very collective. So when you have this either or, diversity or inclusion, or if you go super diverse, that means you're excluding majority, That that's still a level of not understanding what true diversity is. And so why it's important for our businesses is because when you look at your populations, when you look at saturation, you've got to move to different audiences, different target markets, and they have different needs and have different things of how they look and break down things. And so as an organization, if you don't have people who authentically understand the intricacies, you miss out on that dollar. People are moving to this, oh, well, let's think about diversity. It's like, too late. Mm-hmm. That brings up an interesting thing. Um, as we were kind of researching the show and kind of trying to figure out what examples we want to pull of kind of like diversity gone wrong, mm-hmm. um, there are so many examples, especially in the advertising and marketing arena. I, I think it, when it really comes down to with companies, we have to look at what the intention is behind why they want diversity. Right. Um, and I think that that's, to where things can go wrong because there's not enough thought put behind it. And then sometimes you get into representation. There's not enough representation in the room when it even comes to making these decisions and these things happen. I don't know if you saw the Dove campaign that came out a couple years ago, and it was actually, it had different women of the different races, and they had a black woman. Mm-hmm. And then she was taking her shirt off, mm-hmm. and then she turned into a, a, a white woman. That got Dove under a lot of heat. There were people talking about boycotting mm-hmm. Dove, uh, blacks in particular. When it all came down to it, I'm sure the intention was how do we attract um, or appeal to this black female audience mm-hmm. because of the buying power. But then it kind of went wrong by not having the representation in the room for somebody to say, this may not be taken the right way. How do these companies make these missteps um, they're still able to bounce back from it, but but really they're trying to conquer this concept of diversity and they're wanting to appeal to more people for this bottom line to help their business. But sometimes they, they're not, they're missing the mark. So mm-hmm. from your perspective and with your expertise, kind of what should 
these brainstorms, what, what should they be talking about when they're trying to appeal to a more diverse audience and be able to do it the right way? What's happening is they do have somebody at the table, but I would say that sometimes you can have people at the table and it's just surface validation. So the only thing they know about diversity is that they are a person of color and that's as deep as it goes. They don't study it. They have not a, even maybe even a real lived experience. Um, they're just a person who could have climbed the ladder, seen that diversity is a way in, and they have been either placed in it by people just assuming that because they're a person of color that they know and that they are an expert. Uh, I mean, that happens to me consistently. And I actually challenge people before I even accept things to actually ask me about my uh, Vita to know that I'm authentic and I know what I'm talking about because it's extremely frustrating when you see a person of color sitting at a table and they do more damage when they don't have the diversity experience. It is not a because you grew up as a person of color that you are now an expert in diversity and inclusion, period. You got people of color who are racist, sexist, genderphobes, all this stuff, but because you sit at the table as a person of color, you're supposed to know all the stuff about the Asians or you're supposed to know all the stuff about the Latinos. You're supposed, <laughs> right. You know, and it's like, and you don't. So yeah. then when you get situations like this, mm-hmm. that's the problem. Nobody's truly vetting the experience. And that's why communities of color get real leery about people who are representing them because it's like, show me your cards first. You can't, if, you're, if they're going to put so much weight on you speaking for me, then I need you to understand all the layers. And if you don't know all the layers, then you don't need to be at the table. So what exactly does that mean? Like, what is the difference between diversity and inclusion? The difference really is the, the thought process in the room, but then the listening. The inclusion part is the listening. Like... There are five of us, yeah, I don't know if Uh I can count, five Uh of us in this room. So it's a diverse, it's diverse. Uh But if I don't listen to somebody, I'm not including them. So what has happened is people have heard us say, you know, we got to be in the room. We got to be at the table. We got to be, we got to be. But then they're like, oh, shoot, it's got to be more than just being in the room. And it's got to be more than just sitting at the table. Because when I talk, you don't hear me. When I talk, you don't believe that what I'm saying is valid. When I talk, you don't see me as an expert in whatever it is that I'm saying. So then you want to validate that with somebody who don't look like me, but who's somebody you're comfortable with. And so when you're talking about the inclusion aspect, it is a part of how this whole thing works together. But really what it comes down to is don't just have me there to be seen, but not heard. And so that's perfect into talking about tokenism Mm -hmm. and how, you know, they will ask, even in my own personal experience, um, being asked to be on a committee um, and then you get in the room and then you realize you're the only one Mm -hmm. and you're not surprised by that. Um, But then at the same time, as you said, you know, diversity ends up being one little bullet point in this whole plan Um, and then when you try to dig down into it and try to really create some action items that would push us forward make some changes um, 
your your recommendations are not taken into mm-hmm. consideration. Mm-hmm. And so then it becomes a point where you feel like you wasted your time by being a part of this committee and, and whatnot. And so how do people, now that we kind of understand the difference between diversity and inclusion, right? Or how do companies in particular avoid tokenism? I think that it depends on where a company is. If you're on the front end, you're going to have tokenism, or at least people are going to have the perception of tokenism because this is not a part of your social norm. You have no real credibility to showcase that you have been doing the work of diversity and that it's a part of your brand. So initially, you should expect people to see you as tokenizing um, a situation because you have no receipts. That, that's the first thing is to understand that that's going to happen. You really will get invited to the table because they know they don't have a true pipeline where you would just naturally volunteer yourself. So a company does need to do the legwork and actually do some outreach. But with that outreach, there is some real training and some real knowledge that needs to happen behind that. So my job is diversity work. I love it. And I expect that any table that I'm sitting at in that capacity, I'm going to talk about diversity. And that is what I've signed up to do. But if you, Sheila, are invited because you are a business in, you know, the Manhattan community and you say, yeah, because I want to be around other entrepreneurs. But then you find out that you also the diversity rep. That's a problem because you're like, I didn't sign up for that, too. You just happen to be a person of color. And it doesn't mean that you don't have any experience with being a business or a person of color who owns a business, but you didn't say, I wanted to take on the agenda item. So once again, surface validation, where because you're a person of color, they just assume that that's your background and that you have a passion for it. But you can be like, I'm just trying to get this dollar. I'm trying to build my business. I don't even care about, you know, that whole thing or I do, but not enough to where I'm interested in researching and studying and teaching and educating. Like I'm not interested in doing that. So you need to find people. If you really want to fix diversity, find people who do this for a living and get them on your boards. Because I'm interested in doing the work, but that doesn't mean all the other people want to. And that's that's the part that, you know, when people talk about tokenism, it's mainly individuals who are shouting at the top of their lungs. You played me because you invited me to the table for one thing, but then you really wanted something else. That's not cool. What you're saying is also relevant. I think that a lot of times growing up in Kansas, Mm -hmm. you know, and then going to a university that's predominantly white, um, K-State, you know, I ended up finding myself in a lot of positions like that, Mm -hmm. where I am the only one in the room, where I'm in a journalism class and I get called on from a professor uh, to represent the black perspective on why this story was covered incorrectly. And then it just continues to happen, you know, just being in the minority, Mm -hmm. being called upon for that. And so you're very right. Just because you are a person of color does not mean that you can fully articulate um, the case for Mm -hmm. diversity. And I mean, looking at people like you who have dedicated your educational studies and years of studying this and being in the different environments that you've been in. So I think there's a lot of young black professionals um, and just black professionals in general who find themselves in these 
situation. Those who are listening, who are business owners or looking to start a business, um, it's important for that to be a part of the discussion about how are you going about getting what you need? You know, what kind of expertise do you need? Um, because that will then change the lens of what who actually needs to be at the table. So in a community like Manhattan, there's not a lot of people in our community that have that experience. Can you break it down to the listeners kind of just about what does that look like bringing, bringing in the right person to be able to help help you with that? What does that look like for a company? What should they really be thinking about? What are the steps that they should be taking to make sure that they're doing this thing correctly? If a business is looking at doing it right, I would say you need to spend time in the communities. Because what you'll find is you'll start seeing some of the same people. So if you want to know who has some authentic experience, it is those who have experience with the communities. Now, you may not find you a unicorn who has all the experiences for all the communities. Get that out of your head. But you would find somebody who has connections. You would, just like what you talk about in your social media, you know, workshops and, you know, trainings. It's like, who's your target audience? You know, who's your avatar? And you're trying to go down and you've got these questions. and You're trying to find out where do they hang out? You know, what do they do for hobbies? You know, so why wouldn't you do that for communities you're trying to attract just understand that you have to do the work and that is hard i have an example that i wanted to give you and this is a very it's an example that we have experienced a few times as a marketing company we had a client that was looking for some diversity for their photo shoot okay okay they were pretty much eight models and all of them were white Mm-hmm. Um, and all around the same age and males and females, um, but they were all white. And so she says, we need some diversity in this. And I agreed. Yes, you mm-hmm. do need some diversity. So let's start with the actual customers that you have, because these eight white people that were in this photo shoot, they were all customers. And so I said, do you have any black customers or Latino customers or Asian customers that we could use to be a part of this photo shoot? Well, not so much. So what do we do? You know, she's like, oh, well, my daughter has a friend Mm -hmm. that's black and we can bring her into the photo shoot to add diversity. So red flag, you know, comes up to me just trying to operate this marketing company with integrity. Mm -hmm. I see how these things happen Mm -hmm. time and time again. And these are the conversations that happen behind the scenes. And then you see the finished advertisement or Mm -hmm. the finished commercial. And it all came from somebody saying, we need diversity. Well, you know, when I asked her, I said, well, why? You know, because I just kind of want to play devil's advocate Mm -hmm. a little bit. And I'm like, well, why? Well, it's because we want to appeal to the black customers and make sure that they know that, you know, we welcome them and we want all business, you know? And so from your perspective, 
the work that has to be put in. Mm -hmm. Ultimately, my advice to her was there's an issue with there not being any diverse customers in the first place. Mm -hmm. So what can we do to go backwards and make sure that we can build that into your customers so that the next time when we're trying to do a photo shoot, we're not scratching our heads trying to figure out Mm -hmm. how to get diversity in the company. So anyways, I, I really would love to hear your perspective on how do you fix something that what is the the right way to go about that because it happens all the time. Communities of color are already checking to see if you already got diversity. They're more so, if like say a situation happens, um, they're not looking at what you did after because it's always reactive. Like when we look at like the Case Hater magazine, which I'm really proud of because it has diversity already in there, like, you know, organically. So I'm like, so if something were to go down, we have receipts that, you know, we've been doing this. What companies need to understand is don't look at people as so basic that it's a photo that's going to fix your problems, okay? You got to have real plan and real strategy about how you do this. Once again, we are not interested in surface validation. We are interested in people who are doing this authentically and in the space. And if our young generation has not taught us anything more, is authentic spaces they can tell from the jump if you're being fake or not. Now, I do understand that when you have, you know, you've been doing this for a while and you have, you know, maybe just white models or whatever it is. My other thing is, okay, if we look at it from a business aspect, you got to pay. There are a lot of multicultural models out here looking for jobs. Pay, stop trying to get stuff for free and you didn't earn it. Mm. <laughs> so you yeah. want the diversity, then I we're going to do a model call and we're going to then get the work. Put it in your budget, you know, and that's something that is important. And hopefully you wouldn't just pay for a model and just leave it be. You would then want to start building it up so that that same eight, eight customers that you had, maybe you'll get more people to do that. So those are important pieces that businesses need to understand that you just can't be surface and think that a photo is going to happen because people will already check for you. And you got to pay if you don't already have it organically. And that's the price. And that's why it's a real struggle for businesses to even really get on the bo- on jump on the board for uh, diversity because they know that they have to pay. You know, there's a reason why we talk about our buying power. It's not because we want to flaunt it and just give our money away. We're trying to say you claim that we're in this capitalistic society you claim that, you know, it's just business, it's bottom line, it's whatever, whatever. You care about the community, you want to build it, you want employees. We understand all that stuff. We pay our taxes. But you refuse to cater to communities who have the dollars. That means it can't really be about the dollar because it's green. Mm-hmm. So what is it about? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you're not prepared to answer that question, then you don't deserve my dollar. That makes me think of Nike. Mm -hmm. In particular, because I think for many, many years, we know that when you talk about people standing in line, getting the Mm -hmm. latest Jordans, it's a lot of us, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I think Nike understood that they have a large portion of their customers that are black and care about black culture. And then they came out with the Kaepernick 
ad, which it wasn't just Kaepernick. I mm-hmm. mean, they did Serena Williams. They did a you know a host of athletes, but the Kaepernick one is the one that really you know got some controversy going of people mm-hmm. uh, burning their Nikes and all these mm-hmm. other things because he really took such a strong stance. Uh, he, it wasn't that he was just a black athlete. I mean, it was all the. <laughs> controversy that surrounding Colin Kaepernick. Um, is that kind of what you're talking about as far as when you want to, when you want to include diversity, I just, to me, I think that's a great example. And of course, Nike is not perfect. Mm-hmm. They've got their flaws as right. a company as well. Um, I'm sure that there's a lot more that they could be doing for our communities um, that support their mm-hmm. brand with a lot of loyalty, mm-hmm. but something like that kind of gave me a little bit of glimpse of hope that, you know, that maybe they care about our community a little bit. Yeah. I think it was done tastefully mm-hmm. um, in a way that seemed authentic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, what are your, what's your perspective of that, that ad? Because, of course, what happened after that ad came out? All of us I mean, it just made the brand loyalty go Mm -hmm. up even more of the target audience that they had that was already loyal to the brand. Right. I think what that showed is exactly what I was talking about. Nike has been paying for a while. Okay? And they've been paying Jordan. They've been paying all these people. So they've been paying, you know, for those paid photos if they didn't have it authentically, right? To where then, in the beginning, it could have been seen as tokenism or whatever, but now it's a part of their brand. Now it's a social norm. And because they've been able to build on that, now they have enough power to where they were able to take a risk and it didn't even really hurt them financially. If you don't got that, then you're not interested in really taking the risk. So when I look at what Nike did, I'm like, that's what it looks like when you are in the trenches and you have receipts regardless if people liked them every step of the way and you know they don't say nothing about people getting killed over jordans or anything like that you know okay but where they're consistent because people are still people people still love to be marketed to people still have the same psychological connection to certain things and so they have capitalized on that and they've been consistent and they've stayed in the trenches with it because they studied enough about their target market that if they've paid any attention to black Twitter, they can mm-hmm. see when somebody does anything remotely racist, how they will put every executive and a phone number and a email address and say, don't buy from this spot. Yeah. So whoever they got on their team, they got some real people who got some real receipts to be able to say they know what they're talking about. Culture is slippery. Culture is subjective in some spaces. And you know who did get their, who's getting their mind right is is Dove a little bit. Because when I watched the Grammys and I saw that Kelly Rowland hair thing, I said, okay, Dove. Yeah, you I know? took note of that too. Yeah. That's how it seemed to feel more authentic. Then they got somebody like Kelly Rowland. She's at least recognized as an authentic figure within a community. And then when you saw the little girls and, you know, that she got... They didn't all look the same, so it wasn't like you had your one Asian, you had your one black, you had, you know, you had ginger, you had, you know, short, all this yeah. stuff, you know, so where it's like, oh, you was doing some re- real research. You know, whoever you got at the table is doing something right. So those are the kind of things where I'm like, you got to pay. Diversity is a real 
research space. It's a real industry. It's real. It's a cornerstone of doing business in the United States of America. And until people, business owners get that in their head, they're going to keep doing this Mickey Mouse type stuff. We're talking about big brands like Dove and Nike. Mm-hmm. Okay, what about the mom and pop store that wants to embrace diversity in their marketing? We've got social media that allows people to be able to, um, there are no gatekeepers. Mm-hmm. They can push their stories out. They can, you know, put ads out for very cheap. It's not the same as it was 15, 20 years ago where you'd have to buy an ad in the newspaper or on TV. You can simply take a picture on your camera phone and post it, and it's an ad for your business, right? And so when we're talking about receipts Mm -hmm. and we're talking about putting the work in, having the expense of diversity, what does that mean for the small business that's trying to grow and embrace that from a recruitment aspect, but then also, you know, when you're talking about just growing their business, gaining more customers or clients? I think what I would talk about first for the attracting employees, what's your org culture like? And what kind of policies do you have in place as a small business? Um, that would be enticing for um, a person of diverse background to even be interested in your company. So, you know, when I look at a company, I'm looking at, am I going to be comfortable? And not in a comfortable, like, can I come in whenever I want to come in? But do I have to, like, act like I don't, like, I don't want to tell you what I'm doing on the weekend because, like, you'll be, like, super shocked because... I'm just, you know, kicking there or whatever. Or mm-hmm. um, if I come to work with a different wig every day that I'm not going to have like daily, you know, like you have to do some checks, you know, so these are the kind of things where it's like you need to, you need to have some kind of um, pulse check on your organization mm-hmm. to even see what kind of social norms are offensive to different communities and how do you expand those. Now, for clientele, Um, I think the wonderful thing for small businesses, especially in towns that have really good chamber of commerce and things like that, I think what you have to do is you have to check your chamber of commerce first to be able to say, what kind of diverse activities are we doing to help my business get out there? So if you're just doing these leadership institutes and all they just white people or you're just doing these breakfasts and these roundtables and it only looks like the same people, it's not doing anything for your business. Because if you do your market research and you know you have populations of color, then the question is, what are they doing? Because they can't just be sitting at home doing nothing. They're doing something somewhere. They're celebrating 4th of July somewhere. They're doing these different things. Are they getting on the road and driving two hours to a place that's more So then let me get you a travel pack. You know, let me say, you know, wherever you're going, bring back something and let me know, you know, what is it that you like when you went to this place that maybe we can do here? You know, like people don't always want to get on the road. I don't always want to go to Kansas City. Let me know in Manhattan who's performing in Kansas City. If you want to be helpful, help connect me to the things that are diverse, you know, and then you set up a booth at their stuff. It don't always have to be coming to you. So until people understand that, I mean, if businesses really cared about some of this stuff, they would care about what it feels like to be a parent 
of just a parent and you don't have diversity for your kids in school or in daycare, what does that look like? What does that feel like? So what can you do business that you say you claim that you read, you you target mothers or families or whatever, but you don't even bring nothing in town? Not that this has to be your service, but quarterly. Do something, you know? Do something. You're not hopeless. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, we can go on and on about this topic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you gave some really great insight. Um, and I think that it's very evident that this is a topic that we need to continue. Anything else you want to add? Thank you for the opportunity. I love talking about this, as you can see. Um, so I really appreciate the opportunity to chat about it. Yeah, no, we appreciate you and you taking the time out to spend a little time with us on Seducated. And so, you guys, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get updates on when we have new episodes. And until next time.